the sacrifice that gives us life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Brother Bill, I think uh, Wilma and Lester would have been pretty proud this morning, don't you? To see a, a daughter and a granddaughter and a great-granddaughter all up there singing and leading worship. Of course, Brother Bill, the pastor at Reddington for over three decades, and uh, Lester and Wilma members of his congregation. Well, I want to talk to you about connections this morning. I'll talk to you about uh, being grounded in something and, and, and the strength of that. Uh, I, I had an opportunity this last week to witness something that was both scary and incredible. Uh, I have a, a, a neighbor that is an amateur arborist. He helps to save trees. It's one of the things that he does. And he'd been on me for a while about some trees that were in the median between his house and mine. And He'd been saying, you know, we need to do something about those trees or they're going to die. They've got disease in them and we've got to cut away the disease. And um, I'd kind of put him off a little bit. You know, I was busy doing this and that and wasn't sure how I wanted to handle those trees. And so uh, this af- one afternoon this week on one of those beautiful days, I heard the <laughs> on my door. And it was time. His truck and his chainsaw were sitting in my driveway and he was ready for me to go help him with those trees. And I had a little bit of time, so I went out, and he and I began to do this task of cutting away the disease from the trees. And uh, he cut away the start at the bottom. He started cutting away disease spots in the trees. And man, some of that wood was really rotten. I mean, it was just, just crumbled almost under the saw. I couldn't believe it. And as he worked his way up the tree, which I thought, you know, I'd go the other way. I wondered why we'd start the way we'd started. But he kept going. And then that that man who's well past seven decades, that's all I can say for certain, uh, he climbed up in the middle of the tree, and he started to go higher and higher, standing on what he was confident were the healthy branches, cutting away more of the things. You know what? That guy got higher up than I am, taller than the tree. And I was pretty nervous at that point to have this old guy with a chainsaw up there. And I said to him, I said, if you fall, you know your wife is going to kill me. To which he said, no, she'll probably you know, give you some of the inheritance money. That's not even, that's just. But here was what was remarkable, is that he was confident because he knew that he was standing on something that was solid, it was secure, it was anchored in the earth itself, it was grounded. And uh, because of that, he was unafraid. And he came, of course, he made it back safely to the ground, and hopefully the trees will live a little longer now because of what he did. Well, there are things that kind of ground us and anchor us. And, and in fact, the Bible talks about this idea of anchoring uh, in a couple of passages, but one of my favorite passages is from the book of Hebrews. And I don't know if you have your Bibles with you or not, but you can follow along. This is from Hebrews chapter 6. And the Hebrew writer says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have a hope that is an anchor for our very souls, Something that grounds us, connects us in a way to, to, to things that are solid, that we can count on, that are supportive, things that are important. Now, to understand that in its entirety, we need to understand a little bit about the book of Hebrews and the greater passage or context of this verse. Hebrews is a letter that was written to the Israelites, both in Jerusalem and abroad, We don't know for sure who the author of this book is. Uh, I've long speculated the Apostle Paul, but it might not be Paul, and if not, that's okay too. 
It doesn't tell us who its author is. The audience, however, we know for certain. It was written to Jewish people in Jerusalem and abroad. And it has a, a message about how that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That's at the very heart of the book of Hebrews. Well, if you read this book and you read this greater passage around it, it says there were some things that we can be confident in, like an anchor. And this was true for those Israelites. It's also true for us. Things we can be confident or be anchored to. Here's the greater passage. It, it begins in verse, uh, about verse 13, I think. It says, when God made his promise to Abraham, all right, this was well known to the Hebrews, Father Abraham, his promise to Abraham, what was that first promise? He'd be the father of a great nation, that his descendants would be as numerous as the, sea, as the sand of the seashore. And of course, through the decades and millennia that have passed, certainly that's true. And then he says, the Hebrew writer says, since there was no one greater for God to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, uh, he swore by himself, uh, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Something was promised, and it happened. He's writing about things you can count on that are firm, that are connected, that are anchored. He says, you can be confident of this. If God makes a promise, God will keep his promise. This is important to understanding this idea of our hope. God does what he says he's going to do. Now, sometimes this idea is hard for us to grab hold of because, well, we live in a world where people break their promises <laughs> uh, more than... 50% of marriages, although people have said, till death do us part, we know that in over 50% of the marriages, that doesn't happen. People don't always keep uh, their promises. We are aware of that. We, we like it when people keep a promise, but we also have had people that didn't keep it. Someone said, you know, we, we've told them something, and they, they promised not to share it, and then it comes back to us uh, fivefold. They, they didn't keep their word. They didn't keep their promise. Sometimes, however, people do keep their promises. And when it happens, it's pretty incredible. I like the author C.S. Lewis. He, he is an interesting author. Not perfect, and I wouldn't say I like everything about his theology, but, but I like a lot of things that he's written, and I like a lot of the way he, he thinks about faith in God. But I also like something about the man himself. Um, when he was a young man, he was drafted into the military service for World War I. And while he was going through his training, one of the young men that he was billeted with or housed with was a man named Patty Moore. And um, he and Patty had become, over the course of weeks of training, they became the very best of friends. Uh, in fact, they, they were such good friends that they made a vow of sorts to one another. And this was the vow that they made. Patty had a a mother, his, his, his father had died, and a sister. And Patty Moore um, asked C.S. Lewis, if, if I'm killed in battle, will you promise to take care of my mother and my sister? And C.S. Lewis said, yeah, I would. Likewise, C.S. Lewis had a, a brother who was very much in need of his care that he looked after from time to time, and he asked the same of Patty, would you look after my brother if things should go badly for me? 
The men made their pact, and it wasn't very long into the war, about a month in, that they were fighting, and Patty Moore was killed. A month later, C.S. Lewis was nearly killed. So he went home from the war. He had made a promise, but surely it was just a wartime promise, not something that you would take seriously, except he did. By all accounts, Mrs. Moore was a cantankerous woman. But he cared for her to her dying day. And not only for her, he made sure that her daughter, Maureen, also was well cared for and provided for even in money from his estate. Wow. It's a powerful thing when promises are kept. At extraordinary sacrifice sometimes. Well, the Hebrew writer wants you to know something. God always keeps his promises. To the Hebrews who were reading this letter, he was saying to them, look, you know this is true. <laughs> you know that what God promised has happened because you're here. You're a descendant of Abraham. So the Hebrew writer goes on then, and he says, he says, most people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath uh, confirms what is said, and they put, it puts an end to all the discussions because God uh, wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, his word or his promise and his oath, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. For we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus himself, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. An anchor. Several years ago, when I was a boy, actually, I was told by a neighbor that if I was going to use the little rowboat that he had, I'd need to get an anchor or it'd get blown all over the lake. Well, the first time I went out, I thought, no problem, I don't need an anchor, and I quickly learned he was exactly right. The boat just kept going right back, and I couldn't row the boat where I wanted it and fish at the same time. I needed an anchor. So I said, well, I don't know how to make an anchor. He said, oh, it's easy. He said, just get you a Clorox bottle and make sure it's empty of all of its contents, fill it up with sand, tie a rope to it, and throw it out there in the lake. It'll be an anchor. It was the worst anchor I ever had in my life. That rounded plastic just drug all over the bottom of that lake. It didn't do anything. He laughed. And later on, he gave me a, a, a coffee can he filled with concrete and put a little rebar hook in there that I could tie a rope onto. And it worked pretty well as an anchor because it was heavy enough. What kind of anchor do you have when storms of life come? What kind of anchor holds you? Well, the principal character of the story so far that the Hebrew writer has wanted to make was the story of Abraham, this Old Testament character that had left everything he knew to go to a land that God would show him. Well, as we read the story about Abraham, and we read this passage about anchor, an interesting chapter unfolds before us from the life of Abraham. It says that, that Jesus had entered into um, this place on our behalf, 
that he has become a high priest forever. In the order of, of all people, Melchizedek. What an interesting name. Do you know who this person is? Now, the Hebrew writer goes on and tells us a little bit, but let me take you back to a story from the life of Abraham, the person who had a promise, the person who was trusting in God for his hope, for his plan, for his life. His anchor was firmly held and grounded on God. And because of that, Abraham had had the confidence to do something incredible. And this is what had happened. His brother-in-law, uh, Lot had accompanied them on the journey from his homeland of Ur of Chaldees. And as the story has unfolded, there was a moment where Lot chooses to take his herds and his servants and to move into the lush plain, and Abraham has to kind of stay up in the rougher and rugged mountains, but he makes a choice to do that. Well, as Lot is living out in the plain, something happens. A neighboring king comes to war against that area and captures not only Lot, but also the local king, Bara. And they take them off. When Abraham learns what has happened, he and his servants, they decide to go get back Lot to go rescue their family against a foreign power that had just dethroned a king. And not only do they go, but because he trusts God, they're successful. And they overthrow this, this uh, foreign king, and they bring back Abara, the local king. He brings back Lot. And after that happens, there is this really amazing thing that occurs on the plain. You might imagine that the local king, Bara, he was pretty thankful to be rescued from a foreign power. And so he comes to Abraham, and as he walks out to see Abraham, someone else, a total stranger, comes walking out to meet Abraham as well. So you have three people on the plane. Bara, the local king, this unknown person who we'll come to know as Melchizedek, and Abraham. And there they stand. Bara, the first king, comes up, and he says, Abraham, thank you so much for rescuing me. I want to give you a whole bunch of wealth because of what you've done for me. And at the exact same time, on the other side of Abraham is Melchizedek, who was called the king of Salem. And when he sees this priest, this king, Melchizedek, Abraham says, no, Bara, I don't want your money, but instead I will give one-tenth of everything I own to this man of God. Here's what's really wild about the story. The name Bara means evil, and the name Salem means peace. Melchizedek was the king or prince of peace, and Bara was the prince or king of evil. And Melchizedek, or excuse me, and Abraham said, I would rather honor the one in whom I have trusted than receive a blessing from one whom I could not trust. 
God had taken care of Abraham, and Abraham was willing to give whatever it took back to God. In fact, we know this of Abraham later in his story. He would not even hold back his own son if God had required it. Abraham knew God was going to take care of him no matter what. Do you know that for you and your life? What holds you in the middle of the storm? What holds you when life is a tempest that's tossing you this way and that? What is it? Just a few chapters later in this book, we'll read these wonderful words, let us therefore fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one in whom we trust. He's the one that we anchor our souls to. It does make a difference. Not long ago, and I think this person's probably watching right now, not long ago I had a call to go to the hospital, to the intensive care unit. It, it was one of those times when I go to the ICU, when I walked in the room, there was absolute panic, fear, anxiety in the eyes of the patient. A lot of things had gone wrong, and the cords of death were tightly wrapped around this person. Because of a health concern and condition they have, uh, they were unable to process the oxygen that was in the air. And so even though they were breathing, it was as if they were drowning or suffocating. Scary place to be. The doctors and the nurses were trying with medications and other things to try to calm the person down. But it was very clear this person was in a bad place. When I walked in, the person immediately grabbed hold of my hand, squeezing two fingers so tightly that within just a few minutes, the end of my fingers were white as could be. When she finally did release, the little cords that had been attached to her hand had been squeezed into mine, and there were indentions that lasted for a couple of hours in my skin. She had squeezed that tightly. Even as she held my hand, I couldn't stop. The, uh, I couldn't find the right words to say that would, would bring her peace and calm her anxiety. And in my spirit, I was frustrated. And I was praying, Lord, how can I help this person? What can I do for this person? I don't know what to do. And it, it, it came to me, and it was something I've never done before in a hospital setting. But the only thing I could think of is that when I had my children were afraid when they were little, I would sing them a song. And it's a song that I've made up by God's help, I guess. It's a very simple song. But I've sung it to them throughout their lives. And that's the song that came into my mind. And so with doctors and nurses standing around, they surely thought I was crazy, man. I just started to sing. God is watching over you. He's watching over you. He's watching over you. God is watching over you. He's watching over you right now. He's always with you. He'll never leave you. God is faithful. God is faithful. He's always with you and he'll never leave you. 
His faithfulness extends to generations. God is watching over you. He's watching over you right now. And she was calm as could be. She remembered the anchor. And there in a room that just seconds before there had been panic and fear and chaos, that woman began to sing to me a lullaby that her mother had sung to her growing up. And she sang back to me a song that she knew that God loved her. Watch your anchor. What will hold you in the hardest moments of life? And what kind of an anchor is it? Is it an old Clorox bottle that I drag across the bottom? Or are you anchored in a firm and sure way? Several years ago, I had the chance to go to Virginia Beach and to look at the aircraft carriers as they came in and they were docked there, one of them. Here's what impressed me the most was the size of the anchors. <laughs> and those anchors are about the size of your house on those things. An anchor that's going to hold firm and sure. The Hebrew writer wants you to know something. You have a hope that is an anchor and it is grounded in something firm and secure. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. But if you don't, if you don't know Jesus, what's going to hold you in the tempest when life gets rough? If you've never accepted Jesus, let this be the day. Let this be the day that you say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I do accept him as my Lord and as my Savior. Be faithful in Christian baptism. Be faithful to walk forward in faith and knowing that God will do what he has promised to do for you. For others in this place, maybe you're in the middle of the storm. Maybe today you need to be reminded of something. God's bigger than you are. He's bigger than your problem. He's bigger than the cords of death. He can handle it, even when you can't. Whatever decision you need to make, would you make it now as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation? Just as